0: Good day, listeners and viewers. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and we've got some uh, friends with us. We've got Lori Krieg and and Matt. Uh, Matt is actually new uh, in the sense of being on the program. Lori was actually with us a couple years ago. But Matt and Lori, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having us. Yeah,
0: thank you. Yeah, it's exciting to have you guys on here. I know that um, uh, even just in the last couple years, Lori, since you were on the program, a whole lot has changed or a whole lot has happened, I should say. Um, Why don't you give our listeners uh, maybe just a little bit of an update between what's just happened in the last couple of years. And then I'd love to dive into y'all's story and, and uh, especially highlight this new book that you guys have, have uh, released.
1: Yeah. So if I'm thinking, you know, if it was winter 2019, when this, uh, when my story aired, I was probably at the tail end of really wrestling through a lot of our marriage pain Uh, and what was that marriage pain? I'll just do a summarization and then feel free to jump in Jonathan. But basically um, as I said in our story uh, before, I was, I believe born with, or at least allowed by God to have and experience attractions to the same sex. I felt it from a young age and in college. After college, I met with a mentor who didn't teach me how to become straight, but helped me to feel uh, the love of God in those deepest places of need in my heart for needs like to be seen and known and loved. And she helped me to understand that you, I mean, it's just regular old idolatry, you shake it down, but like you can't take those good needs and take them to any tangible person Um, but she helped me to take them to God, which I cognitively knew that growing up in the church, but, um, there were some barriers between those good needs and the need meter of my soul. She helped me to utilize spiritual disciplines to remove those. So after that, God called me to marriage, um, to Matt, not to men and (laughs) good thing. God, God called Matt to the same marriage. So that worked out, but about seven years into our marriage, um, and it was good, a pretty good first six years. I mean, we had some, I'm sure you'll dive into it. Pornography addiction stuff on Matt's side, but at seven years in our second daughter was born and our oldest daughter turned the age I was when a suppressed memory of sexual assault happened to me. Mm -hmm. So this is not super uncommon, uh, for people who've been sexually assaulted when they were a kid, uh, for when their children, if God gives them children Mm -hmm. turn that age, Light bulb goes off. So, daughter was born and daughter turns the age. And it was like that assault memory magnetized to my sexual attractions toward women, which they didn't go away when I married Matt. I just was empowered by the love of God to daily surrender them. And so, assault memory magnetized to attractions to the same sex. And then I look at Matt and I'm like, why am I in this marriage? Mm. And so, our book, um, and I'll just pause after this, our book really unpacks my wrestling and Matt's wrestling through trauma, memory, attractions to the same sex, and those end up leading to some big arc questions, namely, what's the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of sex? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, um, thank you for, for sharing that. Um let's talk a little bit about something you shared that i think is is true of of every marriage and that is that you both brought brokenness into this relationship right so matt can you talk a little bit about kind of your story and then how that integrated into your life with lori
2: yeah yeah so i mean lori already alluded to it earlier that about 6 years into our marriage i came forward with a secret uh, pornography addiction um, something that I'd been wrestling with since I was about 11 years old um, and, and thought I had it well managed after after college and, and being in a like really good season with community and really trying to eradicate it from my life. But about a year into our marriage, we went through some hard stuff and I fell back into it and I fell really hard um, and to the point where it was a, a daily struggle for me. Um, And so coming clean to Lori was one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life. Um, And from that, like walking free of that, walking out of that, not to say that I don't ever get temptations, but I I haven't gone back to pornography, Mm -hmm. um, which is by the grace of God. Um, But after after coming clean with that, and about a couple of years later, it was like, I was looking back and saying like, wow, I'm clean, I'm doing great. And it was like, God, it was like, I was trying to pat myself on the back for that. And God was like, do you think that's really what that was about? Um, because looking at our marriage and looking at the way that, that I viewed sex, it became one of those places where I realized that I had placed sex on a pedestal, that I had made it this idolatrous space in our marriage, which funnily enough, like Lori, Lori approached sex much more fearfully. Um, in this, like especially after the the memory had resurfaced, sure, yeah. it was—I mean, it was like off the table. It was not something that we were able to pursue at all. And so, realizing, like in that space of um, abstinence in in the marriage, like really having to come to grips with, okay, what does marriage mean if it's not? kind of leading to the culmination of sex, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I didn't know that I believed until it was all of a sudden taken away. Um, and then really had to start wrestling with, okay, what, what now, how, how are we doing this marriage? When, when my whole preconceived notion about sex and, and what it means within marriage was kind of shattered on the ground.
0: Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of things that I, I want to unpack with you guys. And, and, and one is um just even in your book, uh, you talk about this, you, you use this phrase, mixed orientation marriage. Can, can you define that for a second? And then I would love for us to get to the aspect of, of what did you discover about what the goal of marriage actually is? So so first help our listeners understand what you guys mean when you talk about a mixed orientation marriage.
1: Well, to be honest, I don't love labels. And to be furthermore honest, when we were getting married, I didn't know our marriage had a label. I just mm-hmm. knew we had. This was my version of broken sexuality, and Matt had his, and God had called us to marriage. Which, truly, I prefer that lens over identity labels. I'm just stating facts. The, mm-hmm. the reason being, um. I think it's easy to get caught in those. However, I respect people who do prefer to use labels. And I'll explain mixed orientation marriage in a hot second. Um, because it can feel like finding a diagnosis. Right. It can just feel like, oh man, I've been wanting to put a word to this for so long. And now I can. So I respect mm-hmm. it. I truly do. I'm just saying my preference. Saying that. mixed orientation, Yeah, go ahead.
0: And I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, I've I've been one of... I've been kind of a, a label buster my whole life. Right. <laughs> and and it's part of it is because one of our core values at our ministry and one of my personal core values is story. Yeah, and you realize right. that everybody's story has a unique flavor to it. And so to try to then pigeonhole that into saying, and now your story is called X yeah. or Y or Z, yeah. it's difficult. But at the same time, I also agree with what you're saying. It's like, well, you don't necessarily want that from your doctor. <laughs> you know yours is personal yours it's like no we've seen this a thousand times before it may not look exactly the same in each person but this is what it is you know
1: exactly jonathan exactly so mixed orientation marriage essentially means uh that one at least one of the spouses in a marriage um is not their default sexual attraction is not toward the gender of their spouse. So that would be me, my default sexual attraction. When I struggle with lust, it's not toward men. And so my default sexual attraction is not toward men, therefore not toward the gender of my spouse. Uh, So that's again, when people are like, wait, what? (laughs) How does that work? But it is interesting that our wait, what's kind of reveal what we believe about marriage is that attraction is a ginormous piece of it. And I don't know if it's as big as we think it is.
0: Yeah. If you've been and, married
1: more than a few minutes.
0: Well, and, and what I would love to hear you guys talk about, both of you talk about this is what did you learn about? Um, what did both of you on your, on your particular journeys of brokenness learn about how brokenness even gets into our desires? Cause because I'd love to hear what you guys, because, you know, I've heard different, there's different camps, so, so to speak, when it comes to desire versus behavior. And, you know, some will relegate, listen, you know, all of the prohibitions in scripture around sex are just, it's behavioral. And and yet I, I kind of see that mm-hmm. Jesus sort of upped the ante in the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about, oh, you know, you talk about this line being drawn around behavior. I say it has to do with your heart. And so can you talk about what you both learned about brokenness of desire and, and how do you work through that from a biblical gospel framework?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, this is something that I deal with a lot in counseling, being being a therapist in the state of Michigan. I, I like to go to the book of James. If you read chapter one, when it's talking about temptation it says, hey, when we're tempted, don't let us say God is tempting us. But instead it's by our own evil desires, our own epithumia. Um, that, that leads us into the space of being tempted actively. And then that can lead to sin, and leads to death. And, and that desire, that evil desire, doesn't necessarily mean the object or the place your desire is going is inherently in itself evil, but it could also mean overt desire, passionate desire, idolatrous desire. And so, so even there, I, I think that there is this misordered, nature that our desire can go. on. it doesn't have to be sexual either. It can be anything. Um, but behind that, we, we believe that, that we have been created by God with need. We are needy people. We are a needy creation. And so much in our culture, we like to be stoic to it, to pretend like we do not have need. We can just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get the job done. Um, but that's not true. And in our in our need, so there are good needs that God has instilled in us, but in our pride, we, we like to meet those needs in, in other things, in our own power, without any vulnerability, just on our own strength. And I think that pride is what leads us to kind of these evil desires. So there's this already like pointed toward a sinful, sinful avenue. And so in myself, if it was all about behavior, people would look, at our marriage, once I came clean from pornography, and they would say, oh, well, you're enacting your sexuality with your wife. This is a great and beautiful thing, which it can be. Um, But there would be no hesitation. There would be no one checking me saying, hey, Matt, are you looking at your wife lustfully? Mm -hmm. Are you truly seeking a relationship with her? Are Are you trying to be satisfied by her? And that was a place that I had to come face to face with, that even within our marriage, I was, I believe, lusting. Because my, my sexual pursuit of her wasn't something as a, a desire to care and show the love of God to her. It was in my self-interest. It was in my own just desire to live a nice, pleasant, fulfilled, quote unquote, life.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that because there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, Christian marriages out there that have this skewed perspective of, Hey, listen, you got the ring on your finger. So you can kind of, I, I sort of put it this way. So you can sort of be sloppy sexually. In yeah. other words, you don't have to have any integrity. You don't have to actually, the the quote unquote rules don't apply to you now that you're married. And it's kind of like, well, that doesn't seem to jibe with scripture. Mm-hmm. in terms of the high calling of holiness and of love and of sacrifice. And so um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, because we are we are told in, in Scripture that the two become one, right? And so there's this big uh, sort of canopy of oneness that is put over this idea of marriage. And I think sometimes that gets so narrowly relegated to just the physical union of sex. Can you guys talk about what you've learned and discovered about what does oneness actually mean in marriage as a whole, not just sexually?
1: Such a great question. And this one was so pivotal for my, I don't want to say healing because that has bad connotations when it comes to my version of sexual brokenness, but healing, I would say with the trauma piece, I think that's fair to throw there. And then two, willingness to stay in the marriage. That's was critical mm-hmm. there. So we were in a pretty prolonged season of abstinence um, in our marriage. And it was just because it was impossible unless, you know, I remember saying to God, unless you're into like rape, God, uh, Mm -hmm. this isn't going to happen because my heart is so far from Matt. (laughs) And so to have this physical union with this terror and uh, fear of him, unless God is into that, I was like, that's not going to happen. So we started asking some questions because I would hear this word oneness um, from well-meaning pastor sermons, podcasts. And it. maybe this is just my own bias, but as a woman who's been traumatized and injured mostly by men, when male pastors talk about oneness in marriage, it always felt like they were doing a little wink, wink about sex. Like, you guys make sure you're pursuing oneness, you know, wives. It, it, I, and I, my heart was so calcified to that sort of word. But then when you start studying sex and in reading these books, many marriage books, I just chucked across the room. Um, but they all had similar allusions to sex being holistic. I just, it was hard for me to believe the authors again, because they were mostly male. Just, I'm just being honest with you. Sure, yeah. And, and there's a lot of pressure put on women, but that's a whole other conversation. So I was like, okay, if at its base, if God wants this, you know, we lust starts in our heart and sex is this heart that it's supposed to be this holistic union, that it's like Matt was saying, you're, you're telling your spouse holistically, that God wants to be one with them. And not only that, you're telling them how God not only wants to be one with them now, but one day will be holistically one with them. That's what sex preaches to our spouses and that union we that glow you can carry here from union with each other, you can carry into the world to show them that oneness with God is gorgeous. But sex was off the table, and so we start asking each other, Are there other places in our marriage where we experience that sort of glowy oneness, maybe not euphoric, but in some ways euphoric union? And you know, here I was. I need to pause for a hot second just to speak to people. I just feel like I need to say this is that sex for so long has we've been told it's the barometer of our marriage Mm. and it's like the report card of our marriage. And for me, as a woman who felt so stuck, I couldn't move forward and okay, well that's the barometer. I didn't want to move. I'm like, well, I'm already failing. So why am I even trying at this marriage? Mm-hmm. So to say, nope, sex is off the table. And let's look at our, our marriage as a holistic thing mm-hmm. and try to discover areas where we are unified. And for us, we're like, well, where do you feel, you know, physically close, emotionally close? You know, we started talking about all the different areas. We call them gardens in our book, F- stewardship, like, so finances with our family. And we're like, I feel like really close to you. And we go for a walk. And Matt's like, I do too. And so we started to, or, you know, going on a date or playing a game. And so we started to dive into those places where we could experience Mm -hmm. oneness. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it taught us a lot, Jonathan, about, I guess it gave me some, when you already feel like you're failing, it's hard to be like, well, I'm just going to keep trying. But when you can see you're already growing, it gave us hope and like the next right step toward opening up different areas in our oneness life, um, where we could pursue each other. It understanding that was a huge catalyst toward eventually experiencing physical oneness, but it wasn't like, Oh, it it wasn't like a vending machine. Okay. Well, if we figure it out here, then God will give us that.
0: Well, what I'm hearing from you and, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong here. What I'm hearing from you is, is is God was taking you on a journey to understand the depths of the riches of oneness in the metaphor that are that, that you were able to receive directly from him. Yeah. And by going on that journey, there was a type of healing that could happen in this sexual aspect of your relationship. Is that fair to say that he, yeah. he kind of took you, I love the garden metaphor. It's like, okay, he took you into a certain part of the garden and said, we're going we're gonna to plant over here for a while. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, this other area that's been kind of chewed up and yeah. and and really beaten down. We need to give that land some rest for yeah. a little bit while we cultivate these other areas of of the relationship. Yeah. And what would you say to the couples out there? Because I'm sure I'm absolutely positive that when you have said, hey, listen, sex was off the table, that there are wives out there, maybe even some husbands that are going, um I need that. Yes, I need that. Now, what would you say to those couples um, who, who desperately feel that need for some relief in, in the the trauma traumatizing reality of of sex from their past or whatever? Yeah. But at the same time, what I'm hearing you say is while you needed that season and the goal of that season was not to say, we want to have sex again. Mm-hmm. What would you say to those people who are feeling like, I just want to eliminate sex from the possibility Mm -hmm. of my marriage? How would you help them think through maybe what this healing journey could look like for them? Again, not with the goal saying, really the goal, because I love what you said, the barometer of a good marriage is not sex. Mm -hmm. There's so many other things that are deeper than that, but it's also sex did, God did design sex as part of the marital relationship. So how do you help couples navigate all of those types of things when recognizing obviously everybody has a unique story. uh, But what would you say to those couples out there that maybe do need to think about this idea of a season Mm
1: -hmm.
0: of no sex?
1: Well, I would say, you know, talk to each other and say, "I, I need a season of this. But if you're saying it in spite even if you are saying it in spite, like that's okay. But that's maybe where you start is what am I so angry about? Because Mm -hmm. we all know anger is a mask emotion covering fear or sadness. So even if you're like, I just need a break. Even if you say that, I hope that after you say that, you're really going to start to do some heart work. Now saying that I, I do need to say this again. And you hear me wrestle through this with God toward the end of our book. Is, is it, I was like, okay, am I doing all this hard work so that then we can have sex? Like then that just feels like sex is an idol again. I'm so confused because then it's like, that's always the goal, no matter what we do, sex is the goal. And I was like, that seems so dumb. And the spirit had to really speak to me. Again, what we are saying, I was alluding to like, what is the purpose of sex? And, and I, however you believe, does God speak to you? I believe he can speak to you if you have the Bible over your ears and eyes and mouth. But he said to me, Lori, what if I wanted to show you, tell you something about the gospel and about my love for you through sex? Mm. Now, this was about a year and a half through counseling, through talking with Matt, through marriage intensives, a lot of work, theological work, friends in our lives. But at that Mm -hmm. point, I was ready to receive that. And so I think that maybe would be the goal is maybe not sex, but God, if you've created this, help me to actually understand it. What do you want to teach me through this? And do the heart work to Lord willing mm-hmm. get there.
0: And 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 Matt, what was God teaching you through this in terms of how do you exhibit and show the love of Christ the way He's intended to you as a husband to do that for Lori? How did how did what was your growth journey through this as well?
2: Yeah. So starting out when when all of a sudden sex was off the table and and I was like, okay, all I can do is pray. And I, I started praying and saying, okay, God, help Lori to get better.
1: <laughs>
2: Fix her. Fix her <laughs> my wife <body laughs> so that I can be nice and comfortable in my marriage again. Um, And, and after a little bit of time of really praying and, and it's like the prayer started to shift of, okay, God, I, I realized that there's, I have my own healing journey to go on just because she looks at sex fearfully doesn't mean, well, that that is not what God wants, but that doesn't mean what I want is actually what God wants. Just because she's off base doesn't mean that I'm not also, you know, and, and so I had to, this was, this was, and in the book we call it, I, I had a season of really fasting from my desire for sex. And that being whenever I felt that desire, that longing, rather than turning and staring at Lori and saying, why can't we do this? really having to turn my heart to God just like we would in fasting with food where that hunger pain is actually something that hopefully gets us to align our hearts and to go to God and say I need you more you know and so that was that was one of the major things for me that for a few months that I was really actively fasting for my desire for sex and and really God was teaching me like okay Matt just because I desire to have this passionate pursuit sex will not look like that sex will not just be this passionate thing that I can throw myself into and kind of lose myself in this in this physical pursuit it has to be tied emotionally it has to be tied spiritually it has to be tied relationally with her and and really he started showing me that I even as a guy am not pursuing sex only out of a physical desire um, that it is so much more emotional. It's so much more relational than that. Um, which him giving me that language was actually really helpful for Lori, and it's mm-hmm. still something that we're trying to work on. I have to work on being more emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. it's kind of the space where we're actively at right now is trying to me trying to open myself up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the rhetoric has been for so long that men want sex, and it's this physical thing, and women give your spouse his sex because he needs it physically. And it it turns Mm -hmm. into quote unquote maintenance sex. And it leads to a lot of bitterness, a lot of resentment. And I think a lot of damage to, to what God really wants sex to be about and and what the, the metaphor of marriage is supposed to be about.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, we've got a few minutes left. And what I would love to do is, you know, you guys wrote a book. Uh, called an impossible marriage and i'd love for you to share with our listeners like what what's the main point that you really want people to come away with from that book like like what are you wanting people to grasp from what you're sharing about your story and about marriage i mean what do you, what would you what is your biggest hope that people would come away with when they hear your story and read your book
1: I hope people see their own story in our story, married or single, and they see, oh, man, singleness is impossible. Marriage is impossible without Jesus Christ. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because when two people who are very different die to themselves daily to be one with each other, they show a gospel picture of how very different Jesus, very different from us, Jesus died to be one with dusty old Adam, us, and how we're to do the same. That's impossible for us Mm -hmm. to live that out 24 Mm -hmm. seven without him. So I hope that people, oh man, they, you know, maybe they pick it out because they see, oh, she's not attracted to him. What's that? What's that deal? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then they see, oh, snap, (laughs) This is all about Jesus. It's all impossible without Him. Mm-hmm.
0: My my wife and I, we uh, when we went through our own journey of brokenness and healing and restoration, all those kind of things, it was, it was interesting. We would sort of we sort of joked with one another. We said, you know, if we didn't, if we didn't have Jesus, um, we would think that God's design is a cosmic cruelty. <laughs> you know, let's take the two most opposite things on planet Earth and say they belong together. And, and what we've come to d- to discover is that God puts all these seemingly contradictory things together to actually highlight how much we need Him. Um, mm-hmm. I, like, I love to tell my, uh, my single friends, I say, listen, you have no idea how selfish you are until you get married. And then I love to tell my married friends without kids, I'm like, you have no idea how angry you are until you have kids. What? (laughs) So it's like each each of these stages are like you're saying, showing us the impossibility of us being able to actually do this well on our own. Like Mm -hmm. It exposes our flaws, our brokenness, our need. And so I'm so glad that you guys have been willing to be open about your story, to invite people into that space of of brokenness and say, Hey, it's okay to wrestle here. It's okay to work through these things. It's okay to take the time. I also love the fact that you, you guys are, um, unashamed to say you're still in process. We're all still in process. Uh, (laughs) but tell our listeners, um, how they can get a copy of the book where they can go for some more resources uh, that you guys offer for couples that maybe just need some help.
2: Yeah,
1: you are welcome to go to impossiblemarriage.com uh, or you can just search Impossible Marriage on Amazon, grab it there, or impossiblemarriage.com. You'll find resources, blogs, our podcast too. We're talking about stuff like this all the time. Um, yeah, and we're starting events in 2021 Impossible Marriage weekends and evenings. So if you're interested in us, come into your town, hit us up. Yeah. Pending COVID.
0: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is pending COVID. So, But Matt and Lori, uh, thank you again so much for just being open with your story and for sharing with our listeners and um, just keep doing what you're doing all to God's glory. So thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks for having us. It's been a real joy. Yeah, Yeah.
0: thank you. Well, listeners, we're always glad that you're with us. Um, Please check us out at puresexradio.com. And we look forward to seeing you back here again on the program. Take care.
2: Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.